recently the clock that's there now hasn't always been there but I can see it and I don't want to keep you too long because there's a Sunday school meeting actually after this service and I don't know whether I'm just speaking as a grisly and whiny old uh, service veteran but the fact that I've always had something on and the fact that I always get there late means that on most years I'm either preaching, leading, preaching, leading for what seems to be like forever because all the other Sunday school teachers uh, nab all the good jobs. You know who they are. What is it about the ice cream scooping anyway? That's always the hot job. But anyway, I, I, I don't want to uh, keep you all that long, but I do want to just say a couple of personal things, and that is I'm so grateful for the prayer that this church has extended towards my family. I actually am, am very humbled and very overwhelmed. And I don't really want to embarrass people, but I know that Mr. Larry, with all these health issues, has told me that he's consistently been in prayer for my father. And that just means so very much for me. And it, it's it's funny, it's, it's a school holidays thing, but uh, I don't think they are welcome by name. So I'll welcome Barbara and Brian there in the second row behind little singer boy and Catherine in a very impressive jacket there. I know they've been been praying for mum and dad, so it's a blessing to see you and, and thank you so very much. I really appreciate your fellowship. And uh, it would be remiss of me to not to welcome, of course, my old mate, Mrs. Mathis, because we're in Sunday school to, uh, together forever. But uh, when I remember Mrs. Mathis, I remember the time when she used to sit in Bible college many years ago alongside her husband, Roy, to see people, can I say, that are a little bit senior in years, and I include myself in that, still hungry and thirsting for the word of God. That's an absolute blessing. And we are talking, of course, about a real example of faith here this morning, and that is Abram and the various uh, the valley and mountaintop experiences that we see him go through, even in Genesis 14 and 15. Abram is someone that is worthy of study. And by the way, I struggled over some of the pronunciations. I, I know that's true. And if I call this same character Abraham, I'm sure that you you already know who I'm talking about. But strictly speaking, it's Abram in, in Genesis chapter 14, verse 1. But Abram, or Abraham, as far as his notable residences are concerned, he always is a resident of Hebrews chapter 11, that great chapter that we call the roll call of faith. Perhaps it's even wrong for me to think this way, but if you are talking about an MVP or Mr. Hebrews 11, then Abraham is it. He's the most frequently mentioned biblical figure when the writer of Hebrews 11 is writing about faith. And even if I was to stop there and not say anything else, surely you can see that makes uh, that alone makes Abraham very, very worthy of our time. By grace you are saved through faith. It is faith in what in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ that saves us, but it goes further than that because we do read that the just 
shall live by faith. It should be a hallmark, if you like, of our everyday living. And in fact, the Bible goes further than that and says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. So Abraham is definitely worthy of our time this morning. But we do also have to acknowledge that even Abraham had what we might call a crisis of faith. We have them and Abraham had them, which should be of comfort to us. But even as we talk about this, I don't seek to make you feel better if you are constantly living in disobedience. I'm not trying to pat you on the back and saying that's not such a big deal, but I wish to also point to you what Abraham did after that. You might have noticed in, on your outline 1B, Abraham was previously of Egypt. As we read in chapter 12, we do see that Abraham on his sojourn comes to a place called Bethel. And I'm not a Hebrew student. I haven't got to that part of my study. I didn't sit in Hebrew class with Mrs. Mathis. But I know enough to know that Bethel quite literally means the house of God. And I believe that is significant. I believe that Abraham was exactly where God wanted him to be. And, and yet things were tough in Bethel. As was quite common at the time and as was quite common in that part of the world, famine came, hardship came. And Abraham had to make a decision and unfortunately he made the wrong one. Yes, even Abraham. How could that be? Well, there seems to be even today this perception that once you accept the Lord, things are going to be a certain way. Hollywood legend Mickey Rooney said that when he supposedly accepted Christ, things got better for him financially, etc., etc. That makes me doubt because we do read, as Paul wrote to Timothy, that we are meant to endure hardship as a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to realise that because if we think that everything is going to be lollipops and roses, well, there are those that under those circumstances are willing to shift positions, are willing to move away, yes, even from the house of God, that are willing to compromise. And Abraham, unfortunately, he did compromise. You might remember I said at the Lord's table that Egypt was a symbol of the world. And yes, Abraham did enter Egypt to escape these hard circumstances. And this will come up later on. But he brought his family with him, including Lot. And since, and this is a danger to every single one of us, my friend, because if Abraham did this, then we are in danger of doing this. That one sin prompted the necessity for another sin. 
As he entered Egypt, he was scared of Pharaoh. He was scared of the fact that he had an attractive wife. He invented a half-truth because he actually feared for his life. Yes, Abraham was afraid of the world and its power. Hebrews 11 mentions Abraham as being someone of whom the world is not worthy. But when Abraham's lies came to light and Pharaoh was plagued because, yes, he did take Sarah because he did believe Abraham's half-truth. He was greatly plagued as a consequence. At that point in time, the world did not consider Abraham worthy of them. Even though Abraham left Egypt with his goods greatly increased, and that seems to be the sort of thing that even Christians today emphasise on, he also left Egypt with a shattered testimony. And I'm sure knowing Abraham as I think I do, that was the most important thing. Not the fact that Pharaoh said, Here, here's all this stuff, get out of there but that the name of God was greatly scorned upon by the Egyptians as a result of Abraham's actions. And as I said, we're mentioning the fact that Abraham, one of Abraham's significant residences is previously Egypt because if Abraham did at one stage besmirch the name of the, of the, name of the Lord, the very God of heaven, then aren't we in danger of doing likewise? But see, that's not the end of the story as far as Abraham is concerned because we read that Abraham returned to Bethel. And the actual account does tell us that he pitched his tent in the old familiar place. He returned to his position in the house of God and he built an altar and he called upon the name of the Lord. And of course, the glorious truth for us is that we read in Jeremiah, call unto me and I will answer thee. When Abraham went back to his previous position and called unto the Lord, of course, the Lord answered. And that should give us hope to every single one of us who seek to walk by faith. All of us, regardless of what our position is, the Lord invites us all that are saved even this morning to return to Bethel. Because if we do so and call upon the name of the Lord, he, if we fellowship and, and seek to meet with him, he will most certainly meet with us. When we look at Genesis chapter 14, we do see faithful Abraham, not backslidden Egypt Abraham, but the Abraham of Bethel, or the man who at one stage in his journeys did return to Bethel. This is the man we see. And that is significant considering what Abraham is called upon to face. First of all, we see him dealing with Lot. Now, if you were to read the Old Testament, you would scratch your head and say, well, is Lot even a saved man? That now the New Testament tells us 
that Lot was just, which once again, we are saved by faith and not by works. It is that saving faith. And sometimes, and I'm sure that some of you, most of you know what I'm talking about. There's a difference between our relationship with God and our position with God. The children, the, the children of God can be sadly backslidden. The children of God can be sadly disobedient, but God is faithful. And even though the, that same verse regarding Lot in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, says that he was vexed with the people around him, the people of Sodom, we also need to acknowledge it was a series of bad and worldly decisions that ensured that Lot was going to be there in the first place. And unfortunately, it all goes back to Egypt. Even though Abraham was able to leave Egypt behind, both physically and spiritually, Lot was only able to leave Egypt physically. You might remember... And I know I'm about to lose all the kids here, but the old song, I Left My Heart in San Francisco by Tony Bennett. Come on, I know some of you are of that generation. And it may or may not be a nice song, but unfortunately, Lot very much left his heart in Egypt. He left his heart in the world and every decision he made was basically through that Egyptian lens which is why he ended up in Sodom in this first place, this terrible place, because it reminded him so very much of Egypt. But in dealing with Lot, and you notice a theme here, Abraham was faithful. Folks, if we truly say that we are faithfully following the Lord, this should be reflected in our relationship with others. Now, let's notice very carefully the relationship between Abraham and Lot. We know, first of all, that when Lot heard, uh, Abraham heard about Lot's predicament, he ended up being part of this war and he ended up being a prisoner. He was very much in danger. In verse 12, we see, and they took Lot, Abram's brother's son. Now, that was the physical relationship between Abraham and Lot. Lot was his nephew, but it's very, very interesting as the account goes on. Verse 14, and when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive. Did you, do you see it there? Have a look at verse 16. And he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot, his brother Lot. Lot was his nephew, but as far as Abraham's relationship to, with him and as far as his actions were towards Lot, Abraham was Lot's brother. And the man that is faithful to God is faithful to his friends, to the lost, to those people around him. If you have a lot in your life, well, I appreciate how difficult can be, can be, but we know when we read that there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother, well, that's Christ. And perhaps the Lord has sent, and I'm sure that the Lord has sent this lot your way in life that you can demonstrate lot to him.
Abram, faithful in the valley, dealing with Lot and facing the lion. He had two circumstances that we can call valley experiences because these are not the circumstances that Abraham would have chosen for himself in the same way that we are constantly going through circumstances that we would not choose for ourselves. Now, this lion was the man with the difficult name that I found very difficult to say, but this name was Chedorlaomer or something like that. And this was a man, let's call him the lion because he represented a very serious threat as far as Abraham and Lot was concerned. Now, in verse 5, I don't know whether your Bible is good as some of my body, uh, my study Bibles, but it might be noted in, in verse 5, just in the margin there, when it talks about the victory of this lion over various tribes, that the three tribes mentioned there were actually tribes of giants, tribes of Goliaths, if you will. And the reason why Lot was captured is because this king and his allies, his buddies, overcome a confederacy of five kings. In other words, this man posed a very serious threat to Abraham and Lot in the same way that perhaps what you're going through seems very serious and very big and very scary to you. Now, I don't watch TV, and uh, one of my great friends who's, uh, who's actually here this morning, let's just call him Tim the Tink Tinkering Techie. But it, my laptop doesn't show any ads when I'm watching anything because he's taking care of that. But I recently got another a device, which means I get all these uh, charming betting ads, which I absolutely hate because it shows the hypocrisy of our government that's getting all this revenue from betting. Basically, the message is, bet, 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 but gamble responsibly, <laughs> which is hypocritical. Well, I don't know if sports bet was around what sort of odds they would give Abraham because basically Abraham went into this war against the lion who had just defeated three tribes of giants and a confederacy of five kings. And basically Abraham went in with his staff, with all those people that were of his house, 318 in total. And yes, they were trained basically to defend Abraham's staff and maybe he had a bodyguard, but it, it seems like insurmountable odds. However, even though I don't know anything about military tactics, it does say in verse 15, that Abraham actually divided his forces at one stage. And I know how I would have felt if I was one of Abraham's guys. We'll go this way and you and, and the, these few others will go that way. Say what now? And sometimes that's the way we feel when we face things in our life if we are not people of faith. Now I don't want to embarrass anyone but I am so blessed to see from time to time my pastor and the way that he deals with some circumstances that come our way sometimes in the church and from a worldly perspective I'm thinking this is such a pain why is this happening to us and pastor has a 
delightful expression saying, this is good for us. And that doesn't seem logical, but the fact is that our pastor is able to see beyond the circumstances and the hand from whom all our circumstances come. And who is he? The father of lights in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And even though the disciples did experience that Galilean storm, they also saw the Lord Jesus Christ stand up in the boat and say, peace be still. And that's enough now. Do you have enough faith to believe that the crisis that you're going through in your life currently is designed by God to bring out Christ-likeness more in your life so that you may be more like our glorious Saviour. Job knew all about trials and temptations and he said, when I am tried, I shall come forth as gold. May we seek that own luster in our life. Look how gloriously God is glorified in Abraham through these valley experiences in dealing with Lot, his wayward, wayward brother, in dealing with the lion. But we don't just see valley experiences in this account. We also see what we might call mountaintop experiences. Because Lot, uh, Abram, Abraham now is victorious. Lot is freed, unfortunately. He hasn't learned his lesson. He goes off and makes more mistakes. But now Abraham has all the spoils of war. This is, seems to be a mountaintop experience for him. But I can tell you from what I understand the Bible, the people of God traditionally have dealt with mountaintop experiences very, very poorly. We see the tremendous faith of Noah when dealing with the ark, was standing up and being the world's laughingstock for 120 years in going through that great tumult. And then at the end of it, when he comes on dry land, he's tempted by the old world and its behaviour and drunkenness. The ancient people of God would call upon the Lord, yes, in Egypt when they were being oppressed, and God would deliver them, God would take them into the land, God would bless because that's all God wants to do. God wants to bless us, slow to chide and swift to bless, as the hymn writer said. But what happens when Israel is in the land? They forget God. And we can't necessarily blame the ancient people of God because look how the modern people of God behave. The Laodicean epoch, the current epoch of the church. I am rich, I am increased of goods, and I have need of nothing. That, and that includes the Lord Jesus Christ because in that same passage, the Lord stands on the door and knocks at the door of his own church of which he is a stranger beware the mountaintop my my brothers and sisters in the lord he is going to meet with and let's just skip to 3b just for a moment he's going to meet with the serpent or more accurately the king of sodom and the fact that he was the king of sodom gives us a little bit of a clue 
as to his character. And I'm calling him the serpent here because he's another dangerous animal and it could be argued that this man was more dangerous than what the lion was. Why? When Adam and Eve fell, when Adam and Eve heeded Satan, they didn't, Satan did not threaten them in any way. Rather, Satan enticed and Satan promised. And Eve, who was genetically the most perfect woman who ever lived, fell. And now Abraham was getting a similar deed, uh, deal from this man. And the connotations were, and fortunately Abraham was awake to this, that if he said yes to this serpent, if he took these goods from Sodom, which was being offered to him, then the king of Sodom would be the overlord and Abraham would be the vassal. And of course, no one would be saying that God made Abraham rich, but rather than the king of Sodom did. And this is, brothers and sisters, the risk that we take when we draw comfort from the world. When we look to the world to satisfy us. And don't say that you're not tempted by that because we all are. But if we are truly going to be Christ-like, if we're truly going to be people by faith, we need to be mature enough to see the hook in the worm. Because certainly Abraham did. Well, how was he able to do that? It's not really much of a secret. There's not a great deal of depth or mystique to this. And yet we fail at this over and over again, the way that God's people traditionally fail at this. Because we insist on treating God the same way as we treat triple O. We call that number when we are in trouble. We call on God when we are in trouble. And when we don't need him, we don't call him. Our devotional life is inconsistent. Our prayer life is negligible. The Bible likens prayer to breathing and some of us by practice are half dead or barely alive. But, God, but Abraham, but even though he had this appointment with the king of Sodom, Sodom in verse 17, he met with the king of righteousness first. And I'm not taking any liberties. You see the name Melchizedek there in verse 18. That is the literal interpretation of that name. It actually means the king of of righteousness and we see Salem there that's the place that he's a king of and Salem as far as I know from my Hebrew means peace now depending on your point of view and not all the critics agree on this but at the very least Melchizedek is a type of Christ Hebrews describes his genealogy of, of no father and no mother that really means the fact that the priesthood that he had was not the traditional Aaronic priesthood that was hereditary. He didn't 
inherited and there wasn't a time where his time was up and had to be replaced. So he was different in that regard. At very least, a type of Christ at the most, which many people believe this is what we call a Christophany, this is the very Lord Jesus Christ himself. And I don't want to poo-poo any of these finer minds that say, no, Melchizedek was, was just a type. But as I read verse 18, and I see that Melchizedek brought forth bread and wine, well, as they say in the classics, that just leaps off the page to me. That just speaks of Christ. Melchizedek brought bread and he brought wine. Before Abram met with the world, he met with Christ. And that was his secret. And really, it's not much of a secret at all. We know, all know this. But may we have the faith to be people of prayer and people of the word. I'm, I'm sure that I speak for my old mate, Mrs. Mathis, when I say that you never get to a stage in your spiritual life where you outgrow daily devotions, the daily word, the daily prayer. Abraham was able to deal with the serpent and he was able to deal with temptation because he spent time with the king of righteousness before he spent time with the king of the world. And may we do that. We see the stark contrast in this passage between Abraham and a lot, both saved people, but couldn't be any different. Lot, of course, went on making the same mistakes, going back to Sodom. Can you believe it? After all this, he went back to Sodom. He ended up being the father of two people, two tribes, if you will, that became the enemies of the children of God. Can you believe that? And yet the choice is stark before us. May God empower us to be people of faith. We'll conclude this morning with chapter 15 and verse 1. And the reason why I've included this is because the thing is that even though God revealed all this in a vision, Abraham at least up to this point had some idea of what God had already been, was now currently revealing to him. Abraham, I am two things. I am thy shield and I am thy exceeding great reward. And Abraham, before this vision, had some concept of that because he was able to stand up to the lion and he was able to reject the serpent. Now, we find it easier in our life to see God as our shield. We're very good at dialing triple zero. But the point is, in order to be faithful as Abraham was, we need to see God as our great reward. In other words, friends, what do you need in your life to be satisfied? Does your browser history really reflect that you consider God to be your great reward? Does the way that you spend your free time truly reflect the attitude on your part that God is your great reward? Someone told me once that I've got no reason 
to doubt it that the true measure of a man is what he does when he thinks that no one else is watching. And it is very sad that in the part of many people's lives, God is not considered by them to be their great reward. The world calls them, the serpent calls them to live as worldlings do, and many in the Laodicean era answers. And there is no hope for that person to glorify God the way that Abraham did. We praise Abraham this morning for being a man of faith, but of course we praise the great God in heaven, our creator and redeemer, who will protect us and will satisfy and reward us in all our walks in life. If only we are willing to prove him to put our faith and trust in him as far as our day-to-day life is concerned, even today. Can we truly say as we are about to sing this morning that Jesus is all the world to me? For the Lord Jesus, our King of Righteousness, our Prince of Peace, gave everything on our behalf. Paul, would you like to come?